We made this. I walked across an empty land. I knew the pathway like the back of my hand. Welcome home, honey. Where you belong. Is this the place we used to love? Is this the place that I've been dreaming of? I know you struggled with what happened. With what I did. Yes. With what you did. But help is here. Good morning. I know I'm not who you expected to see. Just know I'm only here to help, and I look forward to meeting you all. So tell me when you're gonna let me in. I'm a pretty rational guy. Something's happening here. You're gonna let me in. We are living in a miraculous time. You're gonna let me in. I mean, what's a little crazy between friends, right? Hello and welcome to Scheduled Programming, the official TV podcast of the We Made This Podcast Network. I'm your host, Dan Owen, and Scheduled Programming is a show that takes a closer look at new television, examining the good, the bad, and the ugly of the small screen. In this episode, we're talking about Midnight Mass, the new supernatural horror miniseries from writer-director Mike Flanagan, starring Kate Siegel, Hamish Linklater, and Zach Guilford. And joining me to discuss this latest Netflix offering is writer and podcaster Devon Elson. How are you doing today, Dev? I am doing fantastic, Dan. Not to jump ahead, but uh, this was a really fun uh, series to give a go. I was going to watch it, uh, you know, whether we do the podcast or not. And uh, just to tease the first question we're going to go up against, I'm quite a big Flanagan fan, so I'm uh, excited to do the podcast. The great thing with miniseries is there's only about seven episodes and there's nothing more after that. So it's really good (laughs) just to kind of like get it seen in like a couple of days or so i kind of did one a day which i quite enjoyed just having that kind of uh nice kind of thing to do every every day at nine o'clock i'd put an episode on a bit like curling up with a novel you know and, a, and as the nights draw in <laughs> that's a, a keen distinction between us then because i watched the first episode and i thought hey this is a promising show uh, you know interesting and then i watched the second episode like a couple days later and then right after the second episode i just watched the entire show <laughs> So I watched it pretty much all in one go. <laughs> See, yeah, I'm, I'm not, I'm not a big binger like that. Occasionally, I'll, I'll do that, but yeah, I, I tend to nowadays just kind of like um, one a day or maybe two. But yeah, um, so yeah, you kind of mentioned just a, a, a bit earlier there about uh, Mike Flanagan. So he's the uh, writer director of this mini series, and he's quite a famous name in certain circles. He's done lots of TV and films and stuff. Definitely uh, is a a name that's he's kind of under the radar still, isn't he? He's not like a household name or anything like that. But uh, I think if you're especially a fan of Netflix kind of content, he's got plenty of TV shows on there, and he's and he's done quite a few things. So you mentioned that you're a you're a fan already. Is that going right back to his early films, or you know what's your kind of uh, history with Mike Flanagan? 
In a sense, yeah, you could say it goes right back to the start because he's been around for a while, probably. I mean, if you say a while, close to 10 years now or so, his first big uh, hit was uh, Oculus, which was 2013, I believe. And that was the uh, that was the supernatural film of uh, Karen Gillan, which was a joint WWE uh, production, which seems odd <laughs> in hindsight, but he got the money from them somehow. And that was just a really surprising car film, like, because... One of the reasons I like Flanagan, and it's the same from, like, his first film then. Although I think his first film was actually Absentia, because he couldn't get, like, the money for Oculus just yet. But um there's a couple films of his I haven't seen, but I've seen most of them. Um From Oculus all the way up to now, he's really direct in his ideas of, like, theme and characters. Like, he'll set out a theme, like in Midnight Mass, like... I expected a lot of what happens in Midnight Mass to happen near the end. Like, oh, this is what the show is about. But what I like about Flanagan is he really puts all that stuff right at the start. And he doesn't want people to dwell on the mystery too much. Like, he sets out, this is what the horror is. These are the characters. And then we're really going to see those characters deal with the horror. And I think that's what makes a lot of his stories really strong. And I feel like that's because he's done Stephen King adaptations before. I think that's what Stephen King is really good at because, like, you can really simply uh, sum up Stephen King books, even though you can really sum up his books like A Haunted Car for Christine or A Haunted Hotel for The Shining. But then those books are, like, 400 pages, and that's all really interesting character exploration and, like, motivations and how they deal with these simple horror ideas. And I think Flanagan is really good at doing that. Definitely, I think I'm I'm kind of the same as you, really. Yeah, it was Oculus that was the first thing I I ever saw, and uh, considering it was like a, a haunted mirror, essentially, I, I, it was one of those films where I thought, how can they make a whole film out of this? <laughs> how can you make that scary? Even well, I was really surprised by how uh, inventive it was. And then um, Hush after that was a notable one, and that's when I started to recognise his name more and more, or, or sort of started to look for look for him you know and uh i saw a ouija you seen a ouija uh origin of evil i have not seen that but i heard that is a surprisingly good sequel to what was an all right film the first one <laughs> yeah i actually saw that one first and then i went back and saw the original one and yeah it's definitely a a, a better sequel um and I've, I've, i think most people have probably seen gerald's game if you're listening to this podcast i'm, I'm betting most people have seen gerald's game that was maybe his first netflix film I thought Hush was a Netflix film. Hush was, I think, bought by Netflix, like distributed. Ah, uh, right. But I think Gerald's Game was for Netflix. Yeah, and that was obviously a direct kind of adaptation of a Stephen King short story. And again, kind of like a, a kind of short story we'd think, how can you possibly make that into a film? <laughs> you know, it's a, it's, a, it's such a limited kind of idea, just a, a woman handcuffed to a bed and stuff. But uh, but that was really good as well. And uh, the annoying thing with Mike Flanagan is that he had his biggest kind of bid for the big time was Doctor Sleep in 2019, which I think was a fantastic film. And no one went to see it, really. <laughs> it kind of it made some money, but it wasn't like a big hit, especially on the on the back of it coming out. I think everyone expected it to be a huge, big deal. And with um, you had Ewan McGregor in the lead there and stuff. And it's all tied into The Shining, which is like always voted one of the best horror films ever made. And there's all this kind of hype. But for some reason, it didn't really catch on with 
you know the wider public so much but but it's a bit of a shame because I, I think that's a really good film i don't know if you agree with that that um i think when we're talking about flanagan that that is probably the moment where a lot of people were starting to pass around flanagan's name in the mainstream like just mm. because of what he was doing like i mean yeah the film i think the film is fantastic uh what i meant was i agree with you that it was a disappointment how not as many people saw it i think more people were talking about the idea of a shining sequel like oh this guy mike flanagan he's making a sequel to the shining i think more people talked about it than they actually did see it like go watch it mm. which was a shame but luckily after dr sleep he's gone back to netflix and his two shows the haunting of hill house and the haunting of bly manor they've been mega successful from what i understand like you know they they like peaked like as soon as they premiered and that's really seems to have cemented him like as a name to be known the, the haunting of hill house uh, i think came out slightly before dr sleep but yeah so it was kind of that and then dr sleep and then haunting of bly manor but i think uh, the haunting of hill house was one that he was more involved with wasn't it because i think he directed every episode of that one and uh with hmm. bly manor and he only you know, did the first episode but obviously he was very involved uh and then you've kind of got midnight mass which is uh the latest one so um yeah, it's, it's funny that he sticks to these miniseries. Obviously, you, you, you'd think he'd be off making films and stuff, especially after Doctor Sleep, but he seems to have a good relationship, relationship with uh, Netflix, and they maybe give him a lot of creative freedom, I suppose. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> he's back with uh, another another um, seven-part uh, miniseries, and uh, this is apparently an idea that he's had for a long time. And when we were discussing uh, sort of doing this podcast, I did mention to you, uh, have you read the book? <laughs> Which was... Uh, mistake because there is no book this is not adapting a book but there, there is a reason that i thought it was a book and i don't know if you're aware of this but midnight mass is a, as a thing that's kind of been foreshadowed in some of his previous work because if you watch gerald's game she pulls off the bookshelf a copy of midnight mass and uh in one scene and some reason that stuck in my head as being oh i bet that's like an in joke <laughs> it's like a stephen king book and he's going to like adapt that next. And it somehow lodged in my brain that this was like a Stephen King book that I hadn't read or something. It was one of his newer ones. So it's just kind of been in my head that it's like mm. this book that Stephen King did. So I was totally wrong with that. It's, it's something that um, he's uh, obviously created himself. And even going back to Hush. I was just about to say an even crazier Easter egg was from Hush. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do you want to do you want to go into that one? Yeah. The even I mean. It's one thing just to throw it in on Gerald's game, but yeah, uh, Flanagan had this idea. I mean, obviously he's a fan of Stephen King. I guess he wanted to also write books as well, like King. And he had this idea, Midnight Mass. And then when it came to writing and directing Hush, the main character was an author. And just to have like something on her computer that she is writing, he used what he had written of this book which was like a couple of chapters and then he gave up on it and so if you like pause the movie hush you can see on her screen a line from the book that's like the red and uh, blue police lights uh flash off the uh jesus fish and that is the first image of this uh tv show <laughs> yeah, it's amazing yeah so so even right back then in 2016 that that film came out he's already had this idea so and obviously obviously the the author in that story is played by his wife kate siegel who's in this uh, series as well so like the, you could almost say that like the author of the of the book <laughs> in the fiction of hush you know was that lady and she's now like this is now the kind of adaptation of that of her fictional book maybe so maybe this whole series is taking place in the world of hush sort of thing it gets a bit meta doesn't it 
a bit confusing, but uh, I thought that was really interesting anyway. It's a little kind of uh, Easter egg, I suppose. But anyway, we should really talk about um, Midnight Mass um, in more uh, in more depth. Uh, so this is all takes place on a small, isolated island, uh, and it's a community that kind of um, makes their money fishing. But uh, they're in a bit of dire straits recently because of an oil spill that, that happened, so um, they're not uh, doing particularly well. Uh, but they're like a devout uh, Catholic society. Uh, they all attend church uh, every day or every week. Um, and what happens in this series is that their their priest, their, lo- their local priest, Father Pruitt, he's kind of disappears and, he, and he's off apparently to the mainland um, and a bit sick. Uh, and he's replaced temporarily by a younger uh, charismatic priest uh, called Father Paul. And basically, without giving too much away, with his arrival, lots of kind of strange stuff starts starts happening to some of the people, um, kind of miracles, if you like. Um, but there's always like some kind of twist, isn't there? So uh, we won't we won't go into it right now. But there is a a reason for the miracles, and it's not all kind of like a a good thing uh, that's happening. To start off, then, what, what are your kind of general thoughts, without going into spoilers, on Midnight Mass? Uh, without going into any sto- uh, spoilers, uh. There is a lot of praise going around at the moment that this is his, uh, this is Mike Flanagan's magnum opus. This is his greatest work to date. And everybody is on board the hype train of loving it. And, uh, I don't want to linger on any negatives because I really enjoyed this show. And I think this is a, uh, a limited series that I will watch again next October. And I will really, uh, probably enjoy it a lot more and a lot more, I guess, cleanly and purely on a rewatch because I really I really do love so much of what he is doing in this show but I do feel there are issues that slowly arise in this show I feel from episode one to episode seven it's you mentioned in the notes like as a question does this show go off the rails at any point and it 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 teeters. This I feel this show teeters <laughs> on the edge. Yeah, it teeters on the rails. Doesn't quite go off, but a wheel slips. <laughs> I, th- I think we're probably on the same page. Um, I haven't kind of um, spoken to you about this too much before we did the podcast. I'd like to just kind of come in fresh and, and know what you think uh, when, uh, for the first time when I first hear it. But I've got a feeling we're probably on the same page with this one because I really enjoyed the series. Um, I, I, I don't think I'd rewatch it again because I just don't tend to do that. <laughs> but um, I really enjoyed it. But for me, the first two episodes in particular were, I thought, excellent. Uh, and then the third episode is very interesting but that's where it all kind of changes and there's a big twist like you were saying earlier um mike flanagan likes to kind of get things out of the way and not drag things on for too much so i was quite kind of refreshed by that i thought after episode three Mm -hmm. okay i didn't expect it to go in this direction but at least it's episode three and wow what's gonna happen next and then i thought i thought episode four and five sort of dealing with what what episode three kind of brought brought about which we'll get into later <laughs> but uh i thought they were quite interesting they had some good moments and stuff and i was perfectly kind of on board of it really I, I was quite happy but but it wasn't as good as the first two episodes and it was getting a bit more um a bit more typical of the horror sort of supernatural horror genre in general i was getting okay it's a bit uh it's getting a bit conventional uh really and then six and seven i thought ended the story well enough but yeah it just it it, it uh it's a difficult one, isn't it? Because it's kind of it overall was a good series, but um, yeah, I, I don't think it wasn't it wasn't ruined by the ending or anything like that. I thought the ending was strong, but it was just maybe it maybe it just turned into a different type of story than I expected, and 
if you're into that and the direction it took, then that's great and you probably loved it. And if you're a bit like me and you expected things to go more along the lines of the first two episodes, I think uh, maybe there's, there's uh, an argument that it went off the rails slightly. But uh, but I still kind of enjoyed it. It's just a difficult one to talk about, isn't it? <laughs> but is that where kind of where you fall, really? I think, yeah, for the most part, you took the words right out of my notes. Yeah, that's <laughs> kind of how I felt. I was really completely on board with it all the way up until episode five. And then six and seven go in... They go too far into a realm of, like, literal good versus evil. Like, an actual conflict. And by the Mm. end of it, without spoilers, like, everything goes tits up. And all of the... A lot of the debates about theology and religion and taking things literally... A lot of the debates kind of just, like... No one really, really has a conclusive, like, argument or debate or anything... Because everything just ends in chaos, everyone is just left to sort of make their own opinions and like be like, oh, well, I guess this is how it's ending. <laughs> yeah, I, th- I think, um, well, first of all, because it's a tradition with the podcast to kind of give our rating at this point. So what would you give it out of 10 uh, overall? Since I did like most of the show and I will probably enjoy, I'll probably overlook the faults on rewatches. I would still give this a very high rating. I would give this like, an eight right now, and then maybe in future like a nine. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm the same really. So even though, like you say, we've got issues with it, but it's difficult to give it much less than an eight because I I think it kind of did what it wanted to do in a really good way. See, it's kind of feels unfair mm. to like penalise it too much because it wasn't what you exactly wanted because it's exactly what Mike Flanagan wanted. So it's kind of it did what he wanted, and it... that's the that's a good way to um, preempt whatever criticism we get into. And I yeah, I definitely agree with that that. This isn't like a series of television where we can be like, oh, well, the showrunners clearly don't know where they're going with this TV show. Like, this is Mike Flanagan's work from Mm. start to finish. And if this is the story he wanted to tell, then, you know, there's a lot of good stuff in it. Like, I can see what he was going for. It's good. So we might as well get into spoilers, Riggs. It's one one of those shows where (laughs) if you dance around the spoilers, you can't really ever talk about it properly. So we'll kind of break it down though into like chunks as as we go. Mm. So episode one and two, like I say, for me anyway, was the strongest uh, two episodes. So I felt they were really kind of like well paced. They were very much focused on the characters and they were kind of eerie and they, and you didn't quite know what was going on. And you were kind of following uh, the character of Riley Flynn, who's this guy who's uh, he, he's been to the mainland. Uh, he was involved in a drunk driving accident and he's killed somebody and he's been put in jail for a number of years. And he's fresh out of jail and he, and he returns to uh, his childhood home of Crockett Island. Uh, so he comes back. So we kind of like view him as like the hero, really, or like the main character anyway. So he kind of comes back and through his eyes, really, we kind of were introduced to everyone else. So you kind of meet all the characters and, and stuff like that. And the first two episodes, I think we did a really good job of, you know, introducing everyone and uh, giving you a good kind of sense of place. And the atmosphere is really good. And there's all the stuff with the cats, wasn't there, as well, early on, which I thought was really creepy. <laughs> with the cat's eyes and it kept on spotting like a strange figure and you don't know what all that was about and then um you know riley saw the um the missing uh, priest sort of running along the beach and, and you don't know if that was like a, a vision or or dream or, or, or ghost or what was going on and and riley himself is seeing a ghost isn't he of the the lady that he killed and very much like in the um haunting miniseries um, mike flanagan seems to like that doesn't he, he have these kind of like eerie close-ups of the ghosts just kind of mm. standing there staring at you 
So I had all this kind of like stuff going on, and you had the um the the strange priest turn up, Father Paul, and you kind of know or suspect something's up with him. But then there's also quite a, even though it sounds like a really scary, spooky, you know, kind of uh, few episodes, there's actually quite a lot of really uplifting stuff. I mean, episode two ends on that really kind of uplifting moment where um the 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 girl who's in a wheelchair, Lisa. And you kind of suspected this, really, because anybody in a wheelchair in a horror-related in a horror related thing is, you know, only a few things are going to happen to them, usually. And uh, so on this occasion, she kind of, like, uh, has a miracle happen, and she can all of a sudden uh, walk, and she stands up. And I don't know if you felt the same, but I thought it was a really emotional high. So, yeah, is that, is that kind of what you, what you felt about these two episodes, as they started off strongly for those reasons? Yeah, it, it did. Yeah, it's, uh, I do wonder if this is the reason the how you felt breaking up these episode chunks because it does feel like as a limited series there are three acts in this story and act one is decidedly different than act two and three because what we learn in the later episodes or in the very next episode what we learn in episode three completely changes the rest of the show and this show almost feels like these first two episodes almost feel like a different show in that it is this sense of like we got the main character of Riley, who is very much the Stephen King protagonist, because, I mean, Stephen King himself was a former alcoholic who was in a car wreck, and, you know, the wounded protagonist, and, you know, he feels so bad, he feels so bad about himself, and everybody else feels, like, resentment and hatred towards him for, like, just sullying the whole island by him being there, and then on the other hand, we have this... Um, I, I don't even know if we would call him suspicious priest because Father Paul is just so genuinely charming and likable. Like he's a little odd, but he's also very unassuming at the same time. And then, of course, he starts performing or he conducts this miracle. And so I it really sets up the show is going to be, what is the Stephen King story? Is it Needful Things? The one where the devil is selling cursed items in town. I think it's Needful Things. But it very much sets up, it very much sets up that premise that this, uh, this local that nobody likes is going to confront the priest that everybody likes, but he's going to uncover that the priest yeah. is doing evil things. And that is the setup for this show. But then that, uh, spoilers, that doesn't happen. It's a completely different show. <laughs> And uh, yeah, we, we need to talk about episode three, really, really don't we? <laughs> so we put everything into the proper context. So episode three, like you say, is where it totally changes. And you, you kind of find out what's going on. Uh, so you find out essentially by the end that Father Paul is Monsignor Pruitt, the, 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 old, the old priest who's, who's gone uh, to the mainland because uh, he's apparently sick. That's all a lie. Uh, what's happened really is that he went uh, to Jerusalem and uh, sort of wandered into a sandstorm, came across an ancient ruin. He went down into this ruin and he was kind of attacked and bitten by a basically a vampire. But the, the series calls it an angel, but it's kind of like a, a blood sucking creature anyway. <laughs> so it kind of like uh, bites him, feeds on him and then like rejuvenates him, to, you know, transforms him into a younger man. And uh, we never really see exactly what happens after that, but the, the, the you know, he kind of takes that creature or leads that creature back to uh, Crockett Island with him, which is <laughs> strange choice, really. But um, but he kind of does that, and uh, so that, so and that and straight away, episode three, you kind of know what's going on. Really, you kind of know that Father Paul's not like a. I mean, I was thinking he's either devil, or is he is he has he made a 
a pact with the devil or something or what's, what's going on and it's so in a way it's kind of kind of that but it's it's more of like a standard kind of vampire thing really in, in a sense and uh and i was i was on board for it i thought okay this is not what i thought was gonna happen but uh but then like you say the repercussions of that kind of just mean that the next few episodes are not quite as strong and it's it's purely because i just thought they'd be it we were in for a different type of story and we didn't get that so uh it's, just, it's kind of more on me really than what than the show <laughs> but uh but like you say it does set up riley as the as the um you know, the hero to the story and it sets up father paul as the villain and then like you say in, in episode five isn't it that's all upended because you know massive spoiler here but riley is kind of bitten and uh and he doesn't want to accept his fate as a as a as a vampire essentially so he, he um commits suicide by taking himself off in a in a rowing boat and uh letting the sun rise and he, he kind of uh uh, disintegrates so it kind of like uh I, I suppose it did that as a as a way to surprise the audience and to make us think oh my god i've got no idea where this is going but i don't know part of me's thinking well you can do that but sometimes you kind of wish it had gone along the lines of what you thought was going to happen because i think maybe the series would have been better if it had, had that ending where it's riley versus uh father mm. paul yeah i think i would agree with that that i think flanagan really enjoyed writing these twists like these tonal twists every few episodes because as you say once riley is suddenly out of the picture then a number of the secondary protagonists are suddenly thrust into the limelight and like that's interesting but like i feel like the the first two episodes set up this series premise and then episode three sets up a different premise and then by episode five it's also another different show and I feel like the majority of people watching this would just engage with these as, like, they're twists. It's fun, you know, like, we don't know where it's going. But for me, it felt like more of like a like a bumper or just like a stutter where I was just, I was taken out a little bit. And I was like, oh, wait, I, yeah, like you said, I was on board for a different show. And this, this, this feels like a, another show now. Like, what, what is this? Sh- mm. f- because thematically, it all really came into it in episode three and you can see that in the prior episodes and you see it in the later episodes that thematically like the whole thesis of the story is that in real life people people see patterns and people see you know strange events and occurrences and they construe them as um miracles and they construe them as the acts of gods you know like the character of uh, bev in this she is like a literalist you know she uses scripture to define how she sees the you know how events in the real world are and she feels like you know like the bible is this very much like blueprint of how life should be and everything and i feel like the show the show is consistent in showing how these people want the world to be a certain way and when something insane like the presence of vampires comes into it they just fold that into their own narrative. Like, no, this is just the work of God. Like, it doesn't matter how bad it's going to get. This is just the work of God. And I feel like that story is consistent, but then the actual narrative is quite disjointed. It did actually quite amuse me that um, once the people in the town are, are very aware that there's a vampire in their midst, they just don't really bat an eyelid too much, do they? They have that initial reaction, but they're kind of like, all right with it after that. It's like, oh, okay. And I don't think in this universe anyone knows the word vampire. That is what I was, that's what I was going to bring up later is 
when it when we get to the like the last couple episodes when it really becomes the fight between good and evil it gets to a point where i just don't understand like does so does like dracula not exist in this world does like no one actually know what vampires are because it becomes very obvious it's vampires <laughs> like <laughs> yeah. the first couple episodes set it up like oh what is this mysterious creature is it an angel and then by the end it's like no it's definitely not an angel it is it's a vampire <laughs> I mean, I, I started to think, okay, I'm just going to have to accept that they don't know what vampires are in this universe. Yeah. I, I thought I'll just, I'll, I'll go with, I'll go with that. But then, but then, like you say, sometimes it, it does such obviously evil things. You think I'd, I'd have liked it if they just um, had a few more scenes where they had people questioning it, questioning the um, the angel a little bit more, or or they were even like half aware that it was an evil thing, but they were still getting the benefits of what the blood does because it obviously. Mm does these miracles it kind of cures things and makes people younger or does the, the older lady who's got dementia and it kind of you know improves that and makes her younger so it has all these positives and i mean, I mean father um paul had been suckered into that hadn't he because that's the, his whole story is that he'd kind of like yeah uh, that's the thing his character he sells it really well uh hamish linklater he really sells it his character arc he sells that really well but then because this is kind of like an ensemble cast some of the smaller characters because we don't know as much with them. Like Bev, you know, someone like Bev would fall in line with it. And someone like Riley yeah. would naturally reject it. But then these other characters, it's like, like, why are they just on board all of a sudden? It's probably one of those situations where seven episodes, you know, it, maybe it needed a few more. I think it may be just missing a few a few episodes just to kind of like smooth over some of these rough patches. Or just to make it kind of flow a little bit better. Because... Especially by episode six and seven, I think I think just people's reactions to things just to me was a bit unbelievable at that point. And even just accepting that they're all very religious and they're just willing to like turn you know turn a blind eye to to it all or just believe in what they want to believe and just you know I thought uh, that can only go you know so far. And um, yeah, when when there's a creature like you know when they're setting fire to houses and stuff and the creatures flying around and attacking people in the home and I just thought okay <laughs> you need a few more people. And, <laughs> To, to kind of like wake up from from this and uh, I, I don't know there's a few little um, areas towards the end where I think it maybe could have been smoothed out a little bit more but yeah but it's a difficult one isn't it because like we keep saying it's it's like it's because we wanted a different show and sometimes that's a difficult kind mm. of criticism to have with something because it's not always doesn't always go the way you expect but I don't know I think you're kind of justified in a way if, if a show starts off a certain way I think it's okay to just uh criticize it for not following through on some of that for instance like riley and his whole seeing the um the ghost or, or the the vision anyway of, of the person he'd killed i thought i was going to really factor into it in a big way or something <laughs> and it didn't really uh, it was just like a a way of visualizing his guilt wasn't it so that was like a kind of like a dead end really yeah i f- that to me almost felt like an intentional thing like uh almost like a meta thing from flanagan like oh, I've done two ghost shows for Netflix. Like, this is to make people think that it's going to be another ghost show, but then it's not. I fe- I yeah. felt like that was a deliberate twist. Well, that could have been. And also he had um, he had a character there, um, Arian Green, uh, played by uh, Kate Siegel, again, who's in most of this stuff, because <laughs> Mike Flanagan's her husband. <laughs> uh, and she's uh, she's in this as a school teacher, and she's pregnant and a uh, single mum. She will be a single mum soon. And uh, they had the whole storyline with her as well, and how she kind of like loses the baby, but it's not really a miscarriage, because the baby's like almost vanishes, and... Uh, 
it was that was kind of like odd at the time and and he kind of i suppose you're supposed to think that or the blood that she's been given in the uh, communion, uh, it, it's kind of like um, improved her body in the sense that it's kind of like rolled back the, the time like it has for other people. But this means that it's kind of like set her back before her pregnancy. Is that what you took it to mean? I understood it as the her body as a vampire, like recognized the baby as like a foreign object. So it just like basically ate her to like absorb its oh, okay. like energy, like blood. I, I had it in my head, Dave. It's just basically... It takes everyone back to their their prime, and so her prime was before being pregnant. I, I, I took it to be that, so she'd like I don't know, just reversed, I suppose, biologically to before that point. But I, I, there was a point though where I thought, oh, this is like um, it's a, in the early episodes anyway. I thought, oh, I bet, I bet what's happening here is um, you know, you get you get these miracles, but there's like a downside, there's like a cost to it, and so maybe like the late the the uh, teenage girl who uh, regains the use of her legs, the downside is that uh, she loses her baby or something. I thought they were going to do that kind of story where it's like a give and take situation. Uh, but it kind of wasn't that, was it? It was just basically a vampire. <laughs> well, they almost tease that, don't they, with the uh, the death of uh, Joe Colley. That's another similar thing where I feel like mm. what you're saying, I feel like even Bev, I feel like Bev uses that excuse to the mayor to help like cover this up and stuff at one point, doesn't she? Because... She says everything along the lines of like, well, who cares if this bad thing happened to a bad person, if good things are happening to good people. So obviously we had our issues with it, it sounds like, but, <laughs> but you know, I still, I still really enjoyed it. And there's definitely, um, there's always a really good uh, focus on character, which I always enjoy from uh, Mike Flanagan's stuff. Um, and this series was like, obviously a very religious leaning story. And there was lots there about religion you know faith um even atheism which i thought was really interesting you don't often get that especially for me the, the scene that stood out was um the scene between erin the school teacher and riley when they're both kind of discussing with each other what death is and what it all, all to them what it means i thought that was probably like a, a highlight uh for me anyway because you had uh riley who's an atheist uh giving his uh you know um ideas of what death means and he was being very very kind of clinical and biological but he, he but he said it in such a way that it was had its own kind of sense of spirituality in, in how you you basically die and uh, what happens to your brain in those last moments and you know what happens to your atoms and eventually will all kind of disintegrate and become part of other things and this kind of stuff and uh and then you had erin as well having a similar kind of monologue uh but from, from slightly more religious or spiritual angle and that was they had lots of these kind of monologues throughout and i thought everyone was always really good and gave the actors a lot to um sink their teeth into but that, that stood out to, to me was that like a good scene for you a highlight yeah i think that's something positive i would say and how that's a spin on uh, like some of the negative things we're saying in that I feel like, you know, what we're doing now, we're doing a podcast that's basically, you know, about criticism and other TV critics out there and stuff. What we end up looking for is the more we focus too much on like structural stuff, you know, like we expect consistent story arcs and character beats, you know, like a, a third act, you know, a first act and a third act and all that. Whereas at the end of the day, I'm fine with, like, you know, even a character, you know, say a character like uh, Sheriff Hassan, you know, he sort of comes in and out of the story, but I would, I'm fine with him coming in and out of the story where it's needed if we do get these, like, monologues and stuff. Like, I don't feel like I need, I don't need, like, a fully rounded character from start to end. I just, like, if this one slice, if this one scene where this character delivers a really good monologue, then, like, you know, that's good TV. I'm fine with that. I mean, even 
if some of these monologues feel like they are like less characters and more uh what's the word yeah like a mouse mouse pieces that's it like i'm i'm fine with that as long as you know the monologues are good <laughs> and i don't feel like these char- i don't feel like these characters did all sound the same anyway so like they all deliver really interesting and personal and different perspectives on like the same theme yeah i, I did enjoy uh rahul kohli isn't it from uh from the haunting of Bly Manor, he came back uh, for this this series uh, as a sheriff. Yeah, like a Muslim sheriff in that town. Quite enjoyed his story in the sense that he he kind of thought he was accepted by the community, but by the end, it becomes clear that maybe not. <laughs> and uh, they're all very Christian; they don't, they kind of only tolerate him. Really, he had that good scene, didn't he? In the in the was it the school when he's talking about what the what his faith means and that he kind of like sees Jesus as an important figure, but not the be all and end all, you know, according to the Quran and stuff. Oh, that was quite interesting, actually, because I'm, I'm not a huge scholar or anything when it comes to religious texts. Um, so it's interesting to see like um, him kind of uh, t- tell the audience essentially through this monologue what what being a, a Muslim is, and um, yeah, and <laughs> it falling on deaf ears with uh, with Bev, who's just totally a bit of a Bible basher. <laughs> she just she just views that as the only text in town. You know, there's no there's nothing else. Um, so who who is the kind of main well, the best character in, in the in the series. Who was like um, the person who who did the best work? Who, who was somebody that you thought, you know, watch it for this performance? Oh my god! I mean, if we're talking about performances, like as you said, everyone was really good, and every, everyone comes in and out of the story to have these really good moments. But someone who's in it from start to finish, I mean, Hamish Linklater is goddamn phenomenal from start to finish in this. He's fantastic. He like because he. He and Flanagan really evolve this character and flesh him out in such a way that, like, even at the start, when, even at the start, it's like, oh, there's new priest and, you know, he has this big, like, chest and spooky things are happening, but it's never played off like he is sinister or, like, evil. Like, he's just so. Hamish Linklater, I've seen him in other shows like uh, Marvel's Legion. And he has such an uncanny ability to come off as completely ordinary, but also very engaging at the same time somehow. It's very disarming. <laughs> I mean, he, he definitely, uh, yeah, I think he's a standout, I think, for, for this, for me as well. Um, I was just a bit, I was a bit slightly disappointed by, you know, like, well, like I was saying before, our, our problems with the ending and stuff. But uh, it was a bit of a shame that like, in the finale, he didn't really do a lot, does he? He's kind of... Um, almost pushed to the side and considering where this show starts from you ex- almost expected him to be like the either the big villain or, or the kind of unexpected hero and he'd be the one who's really fighting the, the fight against the, the the vampire or something at the at the end but he kind of doesn't really do a lot in the in the last episode he kind of <laughs> he accepts that he was in the wrong uh and he kind of you know does what he can with, with a few characters to kind of convince them of, of that uh they have to come back to the side of good i suppose but uh it, it doesn't really do a huge amount in the last episode. So I was a little bit disappointed with that because, like you say, I think Hamish Linklater was really good. I think it is a shame that we don't get as much like of a commanding performance at the end. But I do feel thematically his character works at the end because it kind of echoes like the story of God in that he essentially gave all his people free will. And then what happens in the finale is like Bev and all her followers just basically ignore the voice of God and they just go on their own story. And then 
God is just sort of left alone and much like Jesus, his child dies and it's just him and his child. And it's like, it's a, there's kind of a parallel and an echo there. But I mean, even then I feel like when he, he has that, he, st- even it's a quiet moment, but I absolutely adore the scene with him and Mildred, the, the, uh, the old woman who becomes young again. And they, uh, share that really touching moment where they look back, uh, what could have been. And his performance there is phenomenal because, like, he's just on, like, the brink of tears. And it's such a quiet, moving performance. Yeah, so he, he was definitely the standout. And uh, I also liked, I actually liked Zach Guilford as Riley. He didn't get too much to do, but he's got a good kind of vibe to him. I can, I can believe in him as a very principled person <laughs> trying to, you know, redeem himself, I suppose, uh, because of his uh, prison time and stuff. I felt quite sorry for him. Uh, I don't know why he kind of commits suicide. I think he'd be quite a useful character to have <laughs> with uh, his abilities. He could have been like leading the charge against the vampire or something. But yeah, <laughs> so uh, having him kind of die in episode five is a bit of a shame. I thought he'd stick around. But there's lots of good uh, actors in there. The only thing that kind of distracted me a little bit, and we're getting into like production side of things now a little, a little bit more, the old age makeup. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> For me, for for me, it really stood out very early on that a few of the actors, especially uh, I think Henry Thomas, who's who's playing Ed Flynn, uh, Riley's dad. Um, Henry Thomas is obviously famous for playing Elliot in E.T. and he's been in lots of Mike Flanagan stuff. Um, so we kind of seen him in, recently in things, right? So I know what age he is. So having him as a fairly older man, uh, I think they aged him by ten or twenty years or something. So that was kind of noticeable. So I thought, okay, I don't quite get why he has to be aged up. But I suppose Riley's a little bit older than than most for, for a son character. So maybe that makes sense. But I was kind of aware that they used makeup for Henry Thomas. And then you start to spot other characters, don't you? Well, <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm glad that the twist of episode three happened in episode three because when they were telling the story of Father uh, Monsignor, uh, Monsignor uh, Pruitt visiting Jerusalem... Like, the moment he turns around in that close-up, I was like, that's Hamish's eyes. That's Hamish Linklater in old makeup. What's happening? <laughs> so I'm glad that they didn't hold that on for too long. That happened just, like, later in the same episode. But why not just get an old man? I don't understand why it had to be but then him. You know? they, also, they also did the same thing with the actress of uh, Alex Esso, who played Mildred. And I understand why they did that as it happened, because, like, it was one of those things that you could tell, like... Oh, she's going to get the vampire thing and like, she's going to become youthful and stuff. And, but, but, and like, as good as she is in those later scenes, the first couple episodes, (laughs) it did not feel like an actual old woman because like she, like, especially the first couple episodes when like she's proper old, she is doing that really typical, like, hello, I'm an old lady. Like, it did make me look up, (laughs) who is this actress? It's, uh, it's it's difficult to act like an old person. I think it's it's, it's tricky, more tricky than, than you think. Um, yeah, she's been in. Um, she was in Doctor Sleep. Yeah, she was a uh, Wendy. She was really good in that small part. But I don't know. It's it's just a, it's difficult to to play old, I suppose. But yeah, it's a, it's a bit of a shame because um, I thought otherwise the, the show looked really good, and uh, I especially liked Crockett Island. I'm still wondering if they actually built that place for real. Just found a patch of land, like a real island, but built all these. Um, places uh, like a real church and stuff because it they set fire to most things at the end and I know there's probably a lot of effects involved with that but it seemed to me like there was quite a few of those buildings genuinely being set on fire 
So I just I, I don't know where they filmed it. If they built their own little little town and and then destroyed it by the end. Yeah, it did always astound me those uh, establishing shots every every episode or so because it was like I know most shows will be like okay here's one set here's another set and we just go back and forth between them. But then you get those shots of the island and it's like, oh, there really are only like 15 buildings on this island. <laughs> and there's a really good vibe to that island. I, I really I really love the atmosphere that was created. And uh, I don't know, I, I like stuff with islands and like isolated places anyway, like Wicker Man and stuff. Uh, all, all stories that involve islands are just inherently interesting to me, kind of creepy or whatever. So it's just kind of like a good uh, location. The Angel as well, I've just quickly touched on that. So as a kind of monster, I think it was quite... Fairly generic design, wasn't it? Just like an albino Nosferatu. That's what made it a little more egregious, the fact that no one knew what vampires were, because this didn't look ambiguous. Like, it was just Nosferatu with, like, bat wings. <laughs> like, as soon as you saw him at the church at the end, I don't know how not a single person in that church was like, that's not an angel, that's a, that's a vampire. I mean, it would have been interesting if it had have, had have looked a bit more angelic. Maybe they should have gone down that direction. Had it have uh, like if it had feathery wings, uh, but it kind of like hides its fangs or something. Mm. But, they, but they come out when it's when it wants to hunt or whatever. So it kind of like was genuinely. Oh, it looks like a kind of. Um, yeah, it looked a bit like one of the engineers from Prometheus at times. <laughs> so I thought if it looked maybe a bit like that, like a kind of godlike creature and has feathers on the wings, and I thought maybe you could believe that people would think it is an angel, and then. You know, like the twist is that it, it has, actually is a bit more monstrous when it they wants do. To be. They do try to get around that, don't they? When uh, Father Paul does repeatedly say, like, you know, quote from scripture that you know, when when the apostles and when the people saw angels, they they you know reacted in fear and they 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 were afraid of the angels and stuff. They, I I just wonder again if it's one of those things like I talked about Mike Flanagan like deliberately teasing ghosts at the start and stuff, wherever or not it's like part of the the theme even though it's clearly a vampire these people will believe what they want because like i think i do enjoy that aspect of the vampire in that uh, the uh, like clearly at no point during this story the vampire is telling father pruitt anything like it never like it never tries to pretend to be an angel it just does what it does like it's like it's like an animal it's like a creature and then at the end, then at the end, it, it, in the finale, it just does what it wants, <laughs> and everybody else just everybody else just believes what they want. Really, I don't want to know more about that creature, really, because um, <laughs> you know, it just it didn't re- you didn't really uh, find out how you know Father Pruitt you know took it back to to the Crockett Island. You know, was there like a conversation there or? You know, what, it was that was all kind of glossed over. It was just like it was just oh, he just took it back to the island, and and there you go. But uh, I mean, it would make more sense for the creature to actually want to go to the mainland where there's a lot more people to bite and and that kind of thing. But but uh, I don't, I, I wasn't entirely sure if it was like a uh, intelligent creature or if it was just very well trained to kind of do certain things. I, I don't know. It was a bit kind of like uncertain, really. Yeah, exactly it did. Yeah, it didn't. What its deal was? But, it uh, seemed like it at least sort of wanted like Father Paul to turn the others into full vampires like Paul was but then I'm not really sure what the goal the end goal there was I guess the vampire is just like an embodiment of the virus like it's just an instinctual it's just like instinct like nature just spread it like become more like me I mean it's definitely um 
very much an animal, wasn't it? Because when it's sort of biting people, it, it wouldn't even, it would only flinch when it got shot and, and when it was having gasoline poured on itself and, and stuff and people were setting fire to it, it, it would never like twig that was going to happen. It would just be like, I'm just too obsessed now with biting this neck. I'm not going to, I'm not going to uh, <laughs> turn away from that. I'm just going to focus on this like a, like a, an animal. I guess in that sense, I guess in that sense, his behavior sort of mimics like the people with religion in that like, like Bev especially, mm. like, she doesn't like recognize how obviously how much of a monster she's becoming. Like to certain, to certain, you know, Christians, their whole goal is like become like me. Like, you know, like you need to be Christian. Like everyone needs to be Christian. And so I get, I guess there's some parallel there. Not obviously with all the Christian characters, yeah. but with some of them. So um, the ending, to massively spoil the whole series, but the ending is, uh, I mean, I saw a lot of people on, on Twitter and things raving about the ending before I'd seen it. So I was kind of like careful of spoilers. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't get spoiled, but I was very uh, excited by what the ending would be. To be honest, um, I thought the ending was very good, uh, but it was it was kind of one of those endings, wasn't it, where it was like there's no possibility of a second season or anything because it's a miniseries, so they can afford to kill everyone off, essentially, <laughs> apart from a few people. So it was just like uh, destruction everywhere, wasn't it? Everyone kind of like, uh, they they kind of, um, I think their souls are redeemed because they kind of all, all realise that this has all been a terrible mistake and uh, they all start singing that hymn. Uh, but they all ultimately are destroyed in a fire and, and the whole kind of <laughs> island goes up in flames. Only a few characters, the younger characters, um, is it Lisa and the, the, other, the other young boy? I can't remember his name. Uh, yeah, I think uh, it's w- Warren Flynn. Is that the character? Warren, yeah. I mean, that's one thing. I mean, not to start a conversation, but that was one thing. When I, when I was to the finale, some of these side characters, I was like, who is that guy? Who is that boy that survived? <laughs> yeah, so anyway, the two young kind of teenagers, anyway, they kind of escaped, didn't they? Strangely, I, I quite unexpected. Um, Erin's the one who kind of like, doesn't defeat the vampire, but she kind of like, um, uh, sort of slices through its wings. So you're led to believe that the vampire can't quite make it to the mainland when it flies off. But it's left a bit vague which I thought was interesting because um, even though this is like a mini series, I don't think that he plans for an, another installment of this in any way, but, uh, but the door is open, mm. isn't it? You know, you could easily come back to this story and just to say, okay, well the, the two kids have survived and they row back to the mainland. And then that, that vampire could easily have just made it there, uh, has to recover. And then now we can have a, another series set on the mainland where it's, you know, a bigger threat. I don't know if you'd really do that. Cause I think the story's. Told. Yeah, no, I, yeah, I can't imagine a proper, sequel series i think it's ambiguous for like an end i think like a movie ending it's ambiguous to be like the people who want because this is a horror series the people who want a dark ending can be like oh he he got away and he's gonna continue this but then the people who want like a good ending there is that last line from lisa where she says she can't feel her legs so that's like a like a subtle like a suggestion that like the power of the vampire has faded because everyone's dead now yeah, so all the miracles have been undone anyway. Um, yeah, so um, I think we'd better kind of wrap it up, really. been talking for quite a while. So uh, in summation then, you enjoyed it, but uh, it had some flaws. I, I, I think basically maybe you were you were like me, where you'd kind of heard through social media and things, this was like an amazing kind of series. So you kind of went in there with high expectations. And they were kind of met for the most part. But, you know, just for me and you, it sounds like we were just a bit unsure about the direction it took about halfway through so it's like a tale of two halves really yeah i would say a summer i would say probably that like the the answer to my complaints is that 
this could have been like 10 episodes or 13 episodes and like we got to explore some of these characters a bit more you know round them out flesh them out but then at the same time like a rough cut of a movie i'm sure flanagan considered obviously like most writers flanagan considered all these characters as fully rounded characters and then some of that fat has to be cut so he cut it down from like 10 episodes mm-hmm. to seven episodes. So at the end of the day, you know, I like everything that Flanagan does. So I, I'm willing to trust that the shorter show was the better version. That's about it, really. So I think it's definitely uh, recommended, comes recommended. We both give it 8 out of 10. Uh, definitely a, a great time to watch this. This is uh, October with Halloween around the corner. Binge it like Dev or watch it one, <laughs> one a day like me. I quite enjoyed the... The idea. I, I I like kind of TV shows like, like this. I like a novel. I think uh, Mike Flanagan's like a really good person for adapting books because I don't know there's something about how he does it. It actually feels like you're watching a book. It actually feels it has that kind of chapter feel every, every episode. And so you kind of like for me anyway. I, I quite liked kind of parceling them out like I do with books. Really like read a bit before bed sort of thing. Sort of doing that. I think that's like the perfect show for that. Nice tight seven episodes. Um, and we've totally spoiled it, so if you haven't seen it, we've we've totally we've totally ruined it for you. But uh, but uh, yeah. So anyway, so that's sadly all we have time for. So I'd like to thank Dev for being here to share his thoughts today. Do you have anything to plug, Dev, before you go? Uh, you can find me on Twitter uh, at Absolute Travesty. You'll find most of my stuff through there. On the We Made This Network, I co-host a another horror podcast with my good friend uh, Mark Adams. We do Chucky Vision. We've covered all seven uh, Child's Play movies, and we're going to be covering the new Chucky TV series. And then, hopefully, after that, we'll be looking at you know like other oddities, like the remake and other little doll horrors and stuff. But uh, yeah, if you like horror TV, give that a go. And uh, you done? Yeah, well, I definitely would recommend the Chucky Vision podcast. I've been listening to that; it's very good. So yeah, definitely check out Dev there. Um, I'm the uh, Editor of FrameRated.co.uk, which uh, I know Dev, you also write some uh, reviews. Yes, I was. Yeah, I, I I forget to I forget to plug that sometimes, but yeah, I'm also on FrameRated. There's a lot of good. There's a if you like you know if you like what we talk about in podcast form, there's a lot of good written for, uh, content on uh, FrameRated. Yeah, so check me out there. I'm also on Twitter, uh, DanOwen79. So give me a follow there; that would be appreciated. And uh, so yeah, thanks for joining us for another episode. And remember, we are part of the We Made This Podcast Network. So please subscribe to scheduled programming and give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening from. And if you want to help us out more financially, please consider supporting us on Patreon by going to patreon.com forward slash we made this. And Midnight Mass isn't all we're discussing on scheduled programming, so we'll leave you with a taste of what you might have missed on the network in just a few moments. But we'll be back soon to schedule more programming, so until then, do not adjust your set. Elsewhere, and we made this. The TARDIS crew. Although, if we're honest, the Doctor more than makes up for all the colour we miss in the story. (laughs) What are your thoughts on the sixth Doctor on TV? On TV, he doesn't fare as well as he does in other mediums like Big Finish, I'll be honest. He can be very abrasive and rude, and yet I still really like what they were going for with this Doctor. They just didn't do it in a way which made other people truly fall in love with him. Indeed, they hated him.
pick a disc. It's a fascinating thing with um, it's the difference between comedy and music um, is that the bands generally like you can have a hit single that you're famous for and you can not want to play it but you know that that's what people have come for um, whereas it's very rare that comedians get like a bit that you're that you have to do like where you're like if you went to see um, uh, Michael McIntyre for instance um, who's you know got some of the big bits of sort of like the comedy that was on DVD when everyone was watching DVDs um, you know the, like if he did the mandrel bit you'd be like oh cool he did the mandrel bit but if he didn't you wouldn't be there going oh I can't believe he didn't do that you'd be like no he did a show uh, that's the he did all like he did an hour of stuff that we'd never heard before and it was great I've probably seen this movie enough times that I don't really need the subtitles, so that's not as much of a concern. But that was always sort of, uh, you know, kind of in the back of my head when I when I w- when I would watch it with subtitles on. Is I just wish my eyes weren't drawn to this one section of the screen during these sequences where there's a lot else to look at. All that detail that you talked about earlier, yeah. Well, see, the funny thing for me is I watch everything with subtitles. Everything I can, I love subtitles. Fair. So like even the English version, I'm watching it with subtitles. Dude, I do that so, too uh, these days uh, increasingly know. because, uh, yeah, I don't want to miss lines of dialogue. Check out all of these shows and more on the We Made This Podcast Network.